Um, I wonder whether you've ever tried to work out a baby's personality from what they're like in the womb, or maybe you've been pregnant and you've had this experience yourself. Um, perhaps the baby kicks a lot, so everyone tells you they're obviously going to be a footballer. Um, maybe they're very quiet, so they're obviously going to be a very laid-back child. Um, what about when they're born? If they arrive early, they're always going to be in a hurry. If they're late, they're obviously always going to be. And if they cry a lot, well, they're just going to be a handful anyway. Now, we read about a very special baby um, in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's worth reading all four accounts. We're going to look a couple at them later. But it's Luke, the historian, who tells us um, the details about this baby's conception and his birth. And I wonder if anyone would have been able to tell what this baby was going to be like. Would it have guessed, would anyone would have guessed if this baby would have been a wild, unpredictable character? That he would live in the desert, he would um, eat locusts and wild honey, and he would upset the rulers of the land. Even events around the conception and birth, they would really have caused a stir. You can hear the gossip of the neighbours. It's not every day that an elderly high priest um, sees a vision of an angel in the temple, uh, is struck dumb, and then has a baby by an elderly barren wife. And we read later on in that account in Luke that the people in the land, there's awe and wonder. Maybe they wonder what they're going to be caught up in. Um, Maybe they wonder who this child was going to be. Now, as it's not yet Christmas, this child is not Jesus, um, it's John the Baptist. Um, And Richard uh, mentioned earlier he started our Advent series last week, and we're continuing it this week with John the Baptist. Although if we were very traditional here, which obviously we're not, are we, Um, we would be looking at the prophets, all of the prophets this week, um, and usually it would be John the Baptist on his own next week. So as I was preparing, I was thinking about this and thinking, well, what's so special about John the Baptist that he has a whole week to himself? Why do we think about him every Advent? What is it about this man that makes him very special? And I think it's because the church teaches us, or they believe, that John has something really awe-inspiring and challenging to teach us as Christians. So as I've prepared... I can really see why we think about him every year. So, what is John all about? What can you tell me about this picture? Is there anything that strikes you about it? I don't know whether any of you have seen it before. It's a picture of John the Baptist. What can you notice? Anyone spot that he's pointing? And he's pointing at the lamb. Yeah? Anyone see that? Well, um, over centuries, if you painted a picture of John the Baptist, um, there had to be a lamb in it, and often he was pointing at the lamb. And if you Google um, picture, if you just Google picture of John the Baptist, you'll find that loads of pictures of John the Baptist have him pointing, sometimes to a lamb, sometimes to um, the distance, but there's often pictures of him pointing. Now, for a man whose conception of birth had been really quite remarkable. It's interesting that, in a way, he's not the central character. He's often pointing at something else. And it's this pointing that's the real essence of his life, and it's um, one of his roles in life, and it's something that I want us to think about this morning. 
Um, so Linda very kindly is going to come and read to us. Um, we're going to look at a couple accounts um, in Matthew and in John. Thank you, Linda. So Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12, page 967. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers!' Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for, for Abraham. The axe is ready, already at the root of the trees, and every tree, tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The next reading is John 1, verse 6 to 9, and 23 to 29. And it's on page 1063. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John replied in the words of Isaiah when he was questioned, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the songs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Linda. It was really tempting. I almost wanted to read all four accounts because they're so brilliant, but Linda would have done the sermon instead, actually. It would have taken so long. (laughs) Thank you. So from what we read, John was probably a very charismatic leader. He was certainly very different. And the Gospel writers tell us that he had his own group of followers anyway. But the story of John in all four accounts is the same, and it's really clear. John says, please don't follow me, follow him, follow Jesus. So perhaps John was a little bit like the siren of an ambulance, a siren something that can't be ignored. It's unpleasant, it's very loud, it's disruptive. We hear them around the streets a lot. But actually, the siren just clears the road for the emergency vehicle that's coming on behind. It's not the emergency vehicle. It's like John was not the vehicle, but he's the siren clearing the way beforehand. And we read in Luke's account, that the one that gives the stories about his birth and his conception, that um, his father Zechariah sang a song after his birth, which is sometimes known as Benedictus or praise be, you might have heard. It was like a prophecy. And he prophesied the same thing, really, that John would be like this siren. Now, John was a really longed-for baby. His parents had been barren. They hadn't been able to have a child. They were elderly. So you'd expect that when a father sings a song about this longed-for child, that the song would be all about the baby. Well, John does get a mention, But if you read the prophecy and you read the song, at the beginning and the end, it's all about the Messiah. Zechariah tells us in the small bit that he does say about his son, that his son's role in life is going to be to point, to prepare the way for this Messiah, who we know is also called the Christ or the Anointed One. He's the rescuer that is going to come and save his people, the one that the people, that the Jewish people have been longing for and had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. So it seems like Zechariah did know who his son was going to be. It wasn't such a mystery for him. His son was going to be special, but it was more because of the role that he was going to be playing. And in those readings, we heard that John himself said, I am the voice of one calling. Prepare the way of the Lord. And that's from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 40. It's in all of the Gospels. The writers identify John's ministry as um, coming from the Old Testament. He stands in a long line of those called to draw people back to Christ, called, called back to God. But it also identifies John as the voice, the one preparing the way. And we're going to think, think of there are two ways this morning we're going to think of how John prepared the way. So sort of two Ps. The first one is how John prepared people and how John pointed to Jesus. So firstly, how did John prepare the people for the coming of Jesus? And he called them to repent. So you hear that word a couple times throughout the reasons. And in Matthew chapter 3 it said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now it's interesting what you find on Google when you type in the word repent. You have the pictures of hell and fire and brimstones. You have the funny cartoons. Um, You have lots of pictures of Bible verses. Um, But you also have images from other religions as well, using the word repent. 
So John uses the word repent, and I wonder what the word meant here. What does it mean for us as Christians? And going back to the Greek, not that I'm very good at Greek, but so I'm told the original word um, is metanoia, which it literally means turn around and change your heart and your mind about something or somebody else. And used in this context here, where John uses it, it means to change hearts and minds about Christ. And the symbol that John used to tell, so people could tell, you know, as a symbol of whether they were repenting, was baptism. Now, they did use baptism back then, but the way that John used it was actually completely radical. They had ritual washing, um, and people were baptised, but it was usually Gentile believers, so non-Jewish believers. If they wanted to join the Jewish religion, they were seen as unclean, so that they would need to be baptised. The Jewish people wouldn't have been baptised. They didn't see themselves as unclean. And if we look in Matthew 3, verse 9, it tells us why. The Jewish leader says, we have Abraham as our father, i.e., we have the correct ancestral heritage as the people of God. We've been born into this. We're morally upright. But John very clearly says that they can't rely on those things. And this is quite a challenge to us, too, whether we rely on our own spiritual heritage. Were we just baptised as babies? Were we brought up in a Christian home? Or just even a moral home? But John says these things are not enough. He says a life with God doesn't come as a birthright. He says very clearly that a life with God, a life, our lives should have God at the very, very centre of our beings. And this starts with a willingness to turn away from sin, to repent. Now, Richard very handily already said this morning that sin is a little word, but it's got this big eye in the middle of it. Sin is um, about us. It's about having us at the centre, whereas actually the message that John gives is that we should have God at the centre of our lives. So John tells people to repent, to turn around, away from their old lives, lives that they thought were good enough, that were based on their heritage, their moral upbringing. He tells them they have to live a new way. And his response to what this repentance looks like is really intensely practical. His own lifestyle was a a visual protest against self-indulgence. He wore clothes made of um, sort of camel's hair. He wore he ate locusts and honey. I'm not sure how many of us would be prepared to do that. Um, but again, in Luke's gospel, which is the longer account of his life, he tells the people, the ordinary people like us, that they're to be generous to each other. And he tells to those who have the law of the land, the tax collectors um, and the soldiers, he tells them to act honestly and justly. So repentance that he talks about is about our transformation of our own lives, but it's also about the transformation of society as well. If our lives are centred on Christ, he says, then we will start to see change around us in our world. And another quote from the Old Testament from Micah, he says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's like, John is saying, this is what is said in the Old Testament, and this is really what it means. Now, what that means in practice is another sermon in itself, really, but I'll leave you to reflect on that for a minute. But there's more to John's message than a transformed life. 
A life with God at the centre is a life with Christ at the centre. So the second P I want us to think about this morning is how John pointed people to Jesus like a signpost. There's a saying that says, three times a bridesmaid, never a bride. Um, I happen to be a bridesmaid six times before I was a bride. My father in his speech figured, said he figured out the, the, the last three um, counted out the first three. So obviously I was able to be a bride, it was fine. But for six times I had the supporting role and I did wonder whether I was ever going to get to be the main character. Fortunately I did. Um, but John the Baptist, it's like he has this permanent supporting role. It's like he's the permanent bridesmaid, or maybe more appropriately, the permanent best man. His whole role in life is to point to someone else, not himself. And the Gospel of John that Linda read, it said um, he was the witness, he was the herald, he was the person who pointed to the light, but not the light itself. He's like that signpost that points to the destination, or the siren that points out that the emergency vehicle's on its way. And this seems so contrary to the world that we live in. Our world is so much about self. It's about pointing to ourselves. And I think the thought that the reason for our existence would be that we should be pointing to someone else, it's really alien to our world's values. But it's what the Gospel of John hints at And I think this is what's really awe-inspiring and challenging about John's life. Because John hints that his calling is actually our own calling as Christians. There was another person in John's Gospel who pointed to Jesus. And she was the Samaritan woman at the well. And she said, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. And many people believed in Jesus as a result of her witness. To use another analogy, it's like having that baton passed on in the race. It's like John passes the baton over to the Samaritan woman and then to us. But why did John and the other gospel writers make such a big deal of his supporting role, of the role he had in pointing to Jesus? Well, we know that John had his own disciples, but maybe some of them never made the transition from following him to following Jesus. Perhaps they never quite fully understood who Jesus was. And it had to maybe be made really explicit to them. And I wonder if there are some of us here today who don't really quite understand who Jesus is, who he claims to be. But John does tell us really clearly in in the the writing. He tells us that Jesus is supremely powerful. If you look in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he says, I baptise you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry, or the other gospels say, or I'm not fit to untie his sandals. Now John the Baptist selects one duty, this one duty, it's regarded by the rabbis, the teachers at that time, as too menial a job for a disciple or follower to do. Untying sandals was duty only for slaves. Now, John used this example, it may not, be, may not have been to show his unworthiness, but it might have been to explain Jesus' supreme status. He was so far above. It's like we are slaves. And secondly, so firstly, he tells us that Jesus is supremely powerful. 
And then secondly, he tells us that Jesus will baptize with something far greater than water. Going on in verse 11 in Matthew 3, it says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. So just as every Gentile and Jew back then in John's day received forgiveness through water baptism, every believer in Jesus will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. It says that Jesus will give the Holy Spirit generously to us and with fire, fire which purifies but also strengthens us to be the people that God wants us to be. So John helped the people understand who Jesus was. He was this powerful, supremely powerful rescuer Messiah. He was going to be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. But even then, people didn't even seem to recognize him. And John actually had to point him out. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, it says, Among you stands one that you do not know. And then he says, Look, the Lamb of God, he says. So the people who went to see John would have been looking for, for political freedom. They might have been expecting a charismatic leader, a political firebrand, a superhero. They probably weren't looking at the local carpenter's son. But he was actually on their doorstep. The Messiah was living right there amongst them, but it looked like they hadn't actually noticed him. And I wonder if we don't perhaps always recognise Jesus, just like the people in John's day. Do we need him to be pointed out to us again during this Advent season? And have we become so familiar with that stable scene and the baby in the manger that we've lost sight of who Jesus really is? Because looking back at that picture that we saw at the beginning, John wasn't pointing to a baby in the manger. He was pointing to the Lamb of God who was heading for the cross. John didn't say, look, there's the one who was born in the stable. He said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb, because like in Old Testament sacrifice, where lambs were sacrificed, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was going to be sacrificed for us, the one who would take away the sin of the world. Because we don't actually go to the stable with our repentance. We go to the cross with our repentance. And it's at the cross where we receive forgiveness and the ability to live lives in the power of the Holy Spirit to become the people that God wants us to be. And how many people do we know who haven't understood or recognised Jesus? That sweet baby in a manger, just for Christmas? Can we forget about him in the new year and carry on with our busy lives? But you see, John's message is for everyone. There's no one exempt. Everybody can hear this message for everyone. So John tells us he wants us to tell people so that they notice who Jesus is and so they understand why he really came. And this is why something like the Alpha Course can be really helpful, not just for us to help grow in our own faith, but so we can bring people along to a safe environment so that we can explore together and find out who really Jesus really is. I want to go back to my original question. What is it about John the Baptist that is so challenging and awe-inspiring? What does his life teach us? So firstly, we're to be prepared people. 
John challenges us that there should be change in our own lives. He says, repent. Our lives are to turn around and be transformed by Christ so that he is at the centre of everything that we do and everything that we are. But there's also the wonderful truth that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can imitate John's qualities. We can imitate his courage in speaking out against what's wrong in society. We can imitate his obedience to our call, to God's call in our lives. And we can imitate his simple lifestyle, his humility and his servanthood. So we have to be prepared, people. And then secondly, as John pointed to Jesus, he challenges us to point to Jesus too. He challenges us in the way that we act and the things that we say, that people are meant to notice Jesus through us. So as I read it, I think the challenge for me is I'm meant to be like a walking signpost. I'm meant to be that siren. Now, I don't mean that we're meant to be unpleasant like a siren, but do our lives speak really loudly of Christ? Do we shake people up? Are our lives loud and disruptive in that way? Or would people actually not notice my faith and not notice the fact that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do, do, do people recognise Jesus in me? So like John the Baptist, we need to help people understand who Jesus is and we need to help him to recognise that he is there in their lives. So John's whole purpose in life was to bring honour and glory to Jesus, not to himself. He helped prepare people for Jesus and he pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God. And Advent is a season that challenges, this, challenges us with this again. And I think this is our challenge today. Is my life being transformed by Christ? And does my life point to the one who can transform other people and can also transform this beautiful world, but often hurting and broken world, where we live? So let us pray together. Father God, thank you for the example of John the Baptist. Thank you that his life was incredibly challenging and really awe-inspiring. Well, thank you that he challenges us to, uh, to live lives that are full to the brim of you. And thank you that he also pointed to you. That is a challenge for us to look to you, but also, Lord, a challenge for us to be pointing you out to other people. And I pray that during this Advent season, our lives would continue to be transformed and we would have the words and the actions to be able to tell people what it is about Christmas that is so special. It's not just a baby in the manger, Lord. It's you, you died on the cross for us and we can live transformed lives. So we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to help us to be transformed people and to point to you. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.